Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and in this episode we talk product growth and education. We talk about why roadmap transparency trumps dates on a timeline, why product certifications are only the beginning of your product journey, and how a knowledge of human psychology benefits product decisions. How should we really use product metrics? And most importantly, is it really possible to wake up saying, yay Mondays? For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Andrea Sayers, undercover geek, classical violinist, blockbuster video alumnus, speaker of five languages and budding pen pal with Richard Branson. Currently working in product growth and education at PodPad, educating product managers across the world on how to do product properly. Hi, Andrea. How are you tonight? Hey, Jason. It's great to be here. It's good to have you here. So, for those uh, product managers living under a rock or people maybe trying to get into product or people who still think that Microsoft Project is the best tool to do your roadmaps and Gantt charts. What is PodPad and and what problem does it solve? So PodPad is a product management software and it allows teams, uh, really anyone that's looking to to build or create their strategy, to build their roadmaps, manage their backlog and understand feedback and insights from their customers. But of course, uh, you mentioned timelines and Gantt charts very specifically, which I absolutely love. So no, we don't do timelines and Gantt charts. We actually do outcome-based roadmaps. So it's really about understanding your strategy, understanding what you're building, why you're building it, and who you're building it for. And that's obviously something that as a, as a product person myself, I, I'm all over that. And I've looked at PodPad myself in the past, but also collides against the reality sometimes of, of upper management and middle management that are looking to get security out of their roadmaps by thinking that but by putting dates on everything, everything's going to be fine. And I know that, that that's kind of antithesis to, to the PodPad way, but, but how do you fight against that? Because it's partly your job to educate people in, in this sort of thing. So in fact, entirely your job to educate people in this thing. So how do you fight against that kind of mentality? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you've just said so much um, in, in so little time that I can talk about this for the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. So, yeah, I think it's not just, you know, the antithesis to, to, to what we do, but it's the antithesis to being agile. I mean, you can't be agile and have timelines, you know, it's, it's, it just, it doesn't work. But the first thing I, I usually ask is, why do you feel you need timelines? And then go from there, because timelines are generally a symptom of something bigger. I mean, the, the core usually is what I like to, to, call, or I've been recently calling it previous product trauma, (laughs) which I have experienced when I think about it, which is when I was in support and I was working with the product team, I think we saw the roadmap at the beginning of the year, and then we never saw it again until the end of the year. (laughs) It was just such poor communication. And then when I became a product manager, I, I had the same experience where, you know, I had people asking me, well, when is this coming out? And I realized that it was the lack of transparency between the product team, the support team. So I did, of course, try my best to communicate what was coming up, you know, have all the release notes, have all the updates, have the meetings, show the roadmap as much as I could. The people would still focus on, but when is it coming? And it was because they had this trauma of, if I know this, it's going to give me some sense of security that I can then communicate this to, to my own customers. So I think getting down to the why and then trying to work through that is really the best approach. And the more I talk to people, the more I realize that it's not really the timelines that they're looking for. 
or the timelines that they're trying to communicate, it's that stakeholders have this trauma, like I said, of perhaps this is the only information I'm going to get. So if I just continue asking, maybe I'll get something out of the product name. I think there's a there's a, a dark side of that as well. I mean, I do agree with that, but I also think there's a dark side of that is when people start selling stuff that you haven't done yet. Yep. And um, and that's when these dates become problematic. And as a thought experiment, we can we might imagine some eager salesperson going out, making a commitment to win a deal, writing it into a contract, and then and then the product team finds out at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I, I'm but- sure that that never happens, but but when that does happen, I, I guess. The difficulty then is is using a tool like Podpad is because it's kind of, again, as you say, almost like the antithesis of the way it should be. And I know my personally from having looked at Podpad that it doesn't really support that type of roadmap, how you square that off because once it's in a contract, you're in trouble, right? Um, yeah. And again, I think it just goes back to poor communication in teams. And I'm not saying it's anybody's fault, but I think it's because I've done both, <laughs> I can almost <laughs> say it's easier for the product manager to say, oh, well, it's sales fault. You know, it's it's the support team's fault or it's the marketing team's fault. But we are responsible for making sure that they are up to date. So at some point, we have to take responsibility and say, okay, well, why did my product team do that? How can I help my product team? How can I help my marketing team? How can I help my support team? And we have to take just a little bit more responsibility and say, you know, maybe it was our fault. Maybe we did something wrong. Maybe how, what can we do to improve that communication? So I always think of that classic Venn diagram with the, you are here in the middle, like the three piece Venn yeah. diagram, and user and business and, and, and tech. And I, I feel that depending on the type of company and the type of product team, and it's really easy to gravitate to, to what feels comfortable. And obviously lots of product people come from quite technical backgrounds and, and maybe they kind of, drift away slightly from the sales teams and, and from the customer focused teams, which means obviously product people should be fo- customer focused themselves, but uh, I'm very specifically talking about B2B here, but like th- this idea that maybe sales are, are separate. And I, th- I think that a part of what you said is it was really relevant. It's like this whole idea that you need to get as close as possible to these teams so that, that everyone knows what's going on and that you can sell with confidence. So yeah, definitely agree with that. And what do you, what do you specifically do for Podpad? Um, a lot of things. So being <laughs> being part, I mean, I've done a lot of things in the past, not all of them particularly well, which is why I'm not allowed to code anymore, <laughs> unless I absolutely have to, which usually involves the help center. And even then, my my rights are limited. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have exactly the same issue and, and, and I'm similarly, similarly disallowed. Yeah, um, I mean, for good reason. Uh, and to be fair, we, <laughs> we, we do have people that, you know, do that a lot better than I do. Again, for a good reason. But I currently kind of, um, I, I oversee the product growth and education. On the education side, uh, obviously, I write a lot, you know, on the blog, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, you, you've seen me pretty much everywhere. My, my senior product manager, um, she's like, oh, I just saw a ping that you're active again. And I'm like, yes, that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> that you should be seeing me if you didn't have a ping saying, I just posted something new. I'm, I'm not doing something right. <laughs> I also host our monthly webinars. They're usually less ProdPad oriented and more product oriented. So having someone that's a, a leader in the industry just you know come and talk about something cool. So we just had Wes Bush from Product Growth, and I believe next month we might have Yana Yushkina from Google. 
So definitely some really, really cool people uh, coming to talk to our audience about product stuff. That's really cool. But one thing that, that then kind of occurs to me is that that must be exhausting, like to be constantly engaging with all of these different channels and all of these different outreach efforts. That, I mean, and obviously that's a lot of your job, but, but you're you know, like you say, you're, you're on there all the time and I, and I see that. So like, how do you maintain the same kind of passion and energy for that all of the time? Because it must be exhausting. It is, but it also appeals to my ADHD and my OCD. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the multitasking. I like, you know, I, I like reading a lot and I like learning a lot. And I think part of what appeals to me is being able to talk to other people and learn from other people and learn new things from other people. And I think, yeah, that that's definitely part of what keeps me going. I also do have downtime, <laughs> uh, <laughs> believe it or not. I, I, I do focus on other things. Like I also manage your help center. I do support. So I'm, I'm one of the escalation points for a support team. I do, you know, assist with user testing and things like that. So it's not, you know, go, go, go all the time. It does look like it, but... <laughs> But 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 your downtime is just doing other work though, from the sound of this. Sometimes. I enjoy it though. I think if I, I wasn't passionate about ProdPad and what we do, I'd be that person that wakes up on a Monday and I'm like, Oh, it's Monday. But for me it's like, Yes, it's Monday. <laughs> I don't like I actually I really enjoy it. So I think I'm definitely very, very lucky uh, to be able to to work at a company that does just something really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously something that everyone hopes to be able to do. Not everyone gets that, sadly, but, you know, I guess they should probably <laughs> probably find other jobs. So you've got a solid background in customer support and onboarding from sort of history in places like Cake Mail and Amelia and, and places in the past. Now, I've always thought that customer support is, is, is probably quite a good way to get into product because you're sitting there kind of on the front line being shouted at about problems in a product or a tool. And now I'm sure that not all customer support people would then potentially make that transition. But if you've got the right kind of attitude and kind of goals, then then that seems like a really neat way in. But but how did you get into product? Purely by accident. And, and like everyone else. <laughs> like everyone else. <laughs> and by working at support. So you're right. It happened, it happened while I was um, at Amelia. And the first thing that happened is, you know, my, I think it was after my second or third week, I kind of walked up to the CEO, Francois, if you're listening, hello. And I, just, I kind of asked, why do we have two products that do the same thing? One that is being rewritten in new code and one that's pretty stable. It kind of feels to me like we're wasting resources on trying to redo something. And I, I don't understand the problem we're trying to solve. And he kind of looked at me and he's like, well, shit, he gets up, you know, leaves his uh, office and immediately shuts it down. And he's like, I cannot believe you're the first person in three years to bring this up. <laughs> and now they're fully focused, you know, on Amelia and it's they're doing really, really well. But but I was the first one to question him and the first one to just ask, well, why? <laughs> and then a few months later, uh, our project manager left and he kind of looked at me and said, Well, you speak to customers and you kind of seem to know what you're doing. So you decide what goes into the releases. And I was like, what? <laughs> At the time, I was called release manager. But what I actually did was I decided essentially what got into, into the sprints. You know, I planned with the dev team. I designed and, and worked the UX team, you know, for new features and things like that. 
so I essentially was product manager without knowing I was product manager. Um, so I was thrown to the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so, I mean, obviously it is a cliche, but also very accurate that lots of people kind of make their way into product by accident. And I certainly Absolutely. did as well for, for, for more of a development side. But I guess the question about what you just said is like, what resources did you then use to try and grasp the nettle with regards to that? Because obviously, yeah, you've come into it, started out kind of not even by by proper job title name. Yeah, you've you've but, but you've stumbled effectively come it, into yeah. it. Yeah, you stumbled into it, but 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 you then presumably need to skill up and make sure that you can do that, do a really good job of that. So, what kind of resources did you use to to, to do that? At the time, I mean, this was 2013, 2014, and mind the product. I mean, we didn't even know what that was back then. So honestly, it was just trial and error for a lot of it. <laughs> but I remember very clearly, you know, he just obviously people just wanted to stakeholders, wanted all other stuff in the next sprint. And I was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to put post-its on a whiteboard and we're going to understand the capacity that we have. If you want something new to go in, we're going to have to drop something else. And inadvertently, I was creating a roadmap, <laughs> really knowing I was creating a roadmap. And after I, I was at that job for about four or six months, and then I ended up moving to England, and I took a support job. But at that support job, uh, my team was using Propad. And I remember looking at the Snow Next Later uh, roadmap, and I'm like, oh my God, I wasn't crazy. Like, here's this <laughs> validation that what I was trying to do, you know, six months earlier was the right thing to do. So Jana from Podpad always claims to have invented the Now Next Later roadmap. And it sounds like you're now claiming that perhaps you invented the Now no, Next Later roadmap. No, not at all. I think it was just validation that <laughs> this thought process of you can't just funnel everything because somebody said so. You know, it's just good product management practice, really. Um, and I had no guidance at the time. But then seeing this properly done validated that at least I was moving in the right direction and I had the right thoughts. So no, I would never claim that now next later <laughs> away from Janet and Simon. That's, that's absolutely their baby. But I think they took these concepts that a lot of product people had already and turned it into something actionable. Yeah, I've always been in, in favor of, of sort of the Kanban type methodology as well, you know, just sort of one in, one out. It just feels like a, a much simpler way to do things. And one of the things that I've seen in a lot of product management tools and, and project management tools as well is, is a massive amount of over-engineering like and actually it shouldn't be that complicated let's, let's just keep it the simpler it is the, the easier it is for people to understand absolutely so I've, I've seen some ridiculous i've seen and i've created some ridiculous roadmaps in my time and um and luckily deleted them afterwards now you're passionate about product you're working for a company that builds software for product people now, I know from personal experience, and, and it makes sense that everyone that works for Podpad would be super passionate about product, but all your clients are product people, which is either really good or really bad, because my assumption would be that it could go one of two ways. It's either that, like for example, I myself could come to you and say, but I want that feature, I really need it. And because I'm getting bullied to Give you know put features into my products that I'd try to bully you to put, to put features into your product, or I could be really empathetic and say, "Oh yeah, no, product managers of the world unite and uh, be really kind." But is it all of one or all of the other, or do you just have a massive mix of customer types like trying to get stuff out of you? Um, <laughs> no, we're actually really lucky that 
I think because of the way ProdPad approaches product, you have to have a very specific mindset about how products get made. So our customers are more outcome focused and understand what that process looks like. So, I mean, everybody needs something, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to claim the product that's perfect either. Um, Certainly there are people that wish they could have this or that or that or that. But the important... Like Gantt charts. They should should have Gantt charts, for example. I mean, some people do still request (laughs) Gantt charts. And that's that's why I always say it's just because someone asks you for something doesn't mean that you have to build it. You have to understand the problem behind it. But as I was saying, I think we're just really lucky that people understand what that process looks like. And if anything, what our customers appreciate is when we engage in conversations with them. So as you can imagine, whenever we get a piece of feedback, it's not just, cool, thanks, and we leave it at that. We actually ask a lot of questions and we ask why, what problem are you trying to solve? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? You know, we jump into conversations with people and they appreciate that that we're so engaged in understanding their problems. Um, and all of that is obviously logged and put into ProdPad. And we have our Slack community, so we have a lot of conversations there. Uh, so it's not, I, I, I wouldn't say it's your typical feedback management where, you know, we get it and it goes to a void somewhere. We're definitely a lot more engaged. And I think, you know, our, our customers appreciate the level of communication that we have for sure. Where I was going to say, before I forget, we're also the only product tool that has a, a public roadmap, which baffles me. <laughs> so just right there, it kind of shows a, quite a bit about our, our transparency level. Absolutely. And that's obviously a, a slap in the face for every other product tool out there. So we'll make sure that we uh, send them a slap afterwards. So obviously, you're, you're involved a lot in education and trying to obviously educate about ProdPad, but just educate about product as well. What are some things that you think that that product managers need to get better at? Well, my product management answer is going to be, it depends, is it? (laughs) Key trends, key trends. I I wish I could say there was a single key trend, but it it really varies and it goes up and down. I mean, for a while, I remember having this discussion with my team. We're like, should we even keep personas as as a top level navigation item? Like personas feels like an attribute of something else. And then just as we're discussing that, all of a sudden, everyone's writing about personas. So it it just, it became really popular all of a sudden. And a lot of the demos that I was giving, people were commenting about how great it was that we had personas, which apparently other tools did not. And I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. And then that died off. And then the next thing was objectives. And then that kind of died down. And the next thing was product-led growth. And then that kind of died. So it kind of goes in cycles. I wouldn't say there's a single thing. I think product management as you know, as a whole, is still relatively new, at least in terms of SaaS and and how we approach it. And and so we're still learning things. Um, This is, I think, part of the reason why there isn't a a legit quote unquote certification. (laughs) Oh, don't don't tell product school, they're going to be all over this with the lawyers and everything. But here's the thing is, it's still too soon for there to be anything that that legitimate we're still learning every day we're learning something new so i appreciate i mean this in general i appreciate courses more than certifications and this is any given certification i'll give you um itil as an example which i'm i'm itil certifies for support and that means nothing (laughs) it it literally means nothing because itil is one process but in the real world it doesn't translate right so i understand itil i understand what it does but in the real world, it, it, you can't apply it. 
It just, it doesn't work like that. So certifications are really good, I think, for learning that one thing. But then when you apply it in the real world, you have to have the experience and the knowledge to just say, great, I have this in theory. But it's likely, the likelihood that it's going to translate to something a little more tangible is an alternate. You can have a base, but it's like reading about music and then actually playing it. <laughs> so I was talking to someone recently who has been having a few struggles with a few jobs where, where they've, I think, been massively over-indexing on by the book Scrum. And um, obviously, you know, we all know and love Scrum to, to a certain degree, but at the same time, I completely agree with you. It's like you, you, you can't just sit there slavishly following rules whilst the whilst the the airplane is going to the ground it's like there, there has to be a point exactly well that's probably a bad analogy because plane in planes you generally do have to follow the rules but you have um, to you have to have a lot of creativity in it mind you we're scrum band like we invented our own thing <laughs> because you know and and it's not one and it's not the other it's a bit of a you know mesh of things so I'm not trying to diss anyone that wants to get a certification or has a certification. It's great if you do. I'm glad you're learning something new. I'm an advocate of, of, of learning in general. But you know, with a certification, you just have to have the first the understanding of what are you investing money on. Hopefully, you have the budget to be investing on something because <laughs> education is an investment at the end of the day. But also having this this you know knowledge, like I said, that you can't be that rigid when you're then trying to apply what you've learned on a job. So I remember reading a book by uh, Jeff Sutherland, who uh, obviously is one of the Scrum guys. And even he, the, one of the godfathers of Scrum, put something in along the lines of, he likened it to Kung Fu and said, look, when you start doing Kung Fu, you obviously have to do all the forms and you have to do everything really tightly and, and rigidly because that's the way you learn the basics. And after a while, like the mid-stage, you get really good at that stuff and like you can do it really well. And then the third stage is you, you don't even do that anymore. You just, you just find a way based on the things that have become almost ingrained in your bones. Probably massively paraphrased, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Like you, you can't just sit there trying to go down a checklist all the time. Although, again, airplane people do that. But apart from them, anyone else, they shouldn't. It's, it's all about reacting to the stuff that's in front of you. So you talk a lot about learning. One thing that I found out about you is that you like to learn effectively random things that look interesting and do courses for fun. So I kind of see learning as having almost like a prioritization scale, kind of importance versus interest. Like how interesting something is, is not necessarily as in any way related to its, uh, its importance, but it could still be interesting and worth doing. So I've got two questions for you on that. First of all is what is the most important thing that you've learned in a course or some kind of learning that you've, that you've undergone? I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I like psychology courses quite a bit, all, all, all types, um, not just obviously product, but I've taken a, a UX psych course with Joe Leach, which was fantastic at buying the product. That was actually really, really helpful. And we ended up changing our pricing uh, names and page uh, after we took that course. It was me and our uh, product designer, Cav. And we immediately came back and we're like, well, we need to change stuff. <laughs> and it was great. It was, it was a great experiment that we ran. And it ended up working really well for us. So thank you, Joe Leach. I learned something. So I think, it, yeah, in terms of relevance to what I do in my job, that UX course was really, really helpful. But I, like you mentioned, I also take you know, really random things. 
The second part was, what's the most interesting but potentially least important thing from a job perspective that you've recently learned? See, I don't think there's anything... I don't think there's such a thing as least relevant because everything you learn feeds your mind and and just makes you a better person, in my opinion. My parents were professors, so (laughs) that's where it comes from. My latest is anthropology. I'm into anthropology, social anthropology and digital anthropology. Unfortunately, books are very dense when it comes to anthropology. So I'm I'm going through it slowly. But again, when it comes to social anthropology and, and digital anthropology, that is stuff that I can still apply to what I do. But I, it depends. I go through waves of, of wanting to learn new things just because I think my mind is always on the go. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I can guarantee I will never be into is chemistry, um, just because I'm terrible with anything that has to do with math in general. <laughs> I actually, I, I recently, in the last couple of years, I learned I was, um, I actually have dyscalculia, uh, which is like dyslexia, but with numbers. And it just explains so much about how I'm so good with words and I love reading. But when it comes to numbers, they just, they do not make sense to me. So anything regarding numbers would be the one thing I would actually count as irrelevant, <laughs> only because I know I don't understand it. Uh, but then another thing then that I know that you've, mentioned in passing at least is how we shouldn't use mps for product metrics anymore it's a bad metric and the only reason i bring that up is obviously because it kind of links into the kind of the numbers thing that we were just talking about so what's your beef with mps and what should we use instead my beef with mps i think my beef with mps is how it's used so generally, you'll get an email, uh, and the email will say, "Would you recommend this to you know your friends or colleagues?" I'm like, my friends aren't into product. <laughs> I have <laughs> I have friends in product, yes, but my friends don't even know what I do, <laughs> right? And I don't know about you, but you know, like I think about my friends in product, like let's say C Todd. I don't sit with C Todd and talk about you know software that we use like do you uh not normally no you know um so it's just it's such a ridiculous question um no i i I don't talk to my friends about your product why would i (laughs) you know just the question itself is ridiculous but even the number right the number can be game that the the number means very little because then you know let's say that i'm like okay great i really like your product i'll give you seven awesome and then after that, I'm not asked again because I already gave a great review. So then years and years and years will pass by and maybe I'll eventually develop a beef with your product. And you'll never know because you thought that that number qualified me at a certain range. So again, I think even just NPS, but in general, when you're looking at metrics, you have to understand the context of the metric that you're looking at and then understand that there's a trend. So I could boast about, you know, oh, yes, my churn rate is at negative 5%, and then just boast about how it's great, and then never worry about the people that might be at risk of churn, simply because they're doing well right now. So you have to understand everything in context. So that's my issue with NPS is people don't use it right. And it doesn't really mean anything, right? And then they don't follow up with questions. The question is why? And I'm like, well, because I think your product sucks. 
that's why I gave you a bad review. Or, you know, I think your product is great. But then they don't follow up after that. So it's like every angle that you try to look at how it might work for you, it doesn't go any further than that. And I, I haven't seen anyone that actually uses NPS properly. Now, with that said, you know, side note, there are situations in which NPS might work and might be useful. Like, for example, an event. That's different. But for software, I just don't think NPS is, is the right thing. Uh, and to your second question, what should we be using? I think people should be more focused on developing relationships. So again, if you're talking to someone constantly, if something goes wrong, they're going to be more willing to tell you something's gone wrong. If they're struggling with something, they're going to be more willing to tell you they're struggling with something. There's going to be a lot more transparency between you and your customer. Whereas, again, if you just sent someone a form and say, fill out this form, put in a number, and that's where you leave it, why would someone want to talk to you after that? Like, it's a very impersonal type thing to do. So, I mean, Janice talked about vanity metrics a ton of times. So again, understand that whatever metric you're looking at, it has to be taken with context and not just a way to, to pat yourself on the back and be like, good job. <laughs> yeah, box ticked, done. An interesting thing you just said, though, is that, that your friends don't know, like your non-product friends don't know what you do. They have no idea. I mean, my family still doesn't know what I do. <laughs> so so the, the obvious question to, to follow on from that, though, is if someone asks you what you do, what would you tell them? I mean, usually I just say I work in tech and leave it at that, but <laughs> it's, it's when they ask me. Um, so a couple of years ago, I, uh, I met up with my family. My, my family is part Italian. So um, we, we went to Venice. We had a little rendezvous there with my cousins and my aunts. And they asked me. And I was like... <laughs> you jumped into the canal. I was like, I, I work in tech. And they're like, no, 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 but really, what do you do? And I was like, okay, I'm going to try to explain this to you. In a way that perhaps you're not going to understand, but it's what I actually <laughs> do. And I was like, okay, so give me three tries to guess your password. And they're like, okay. And I was like, you, your first child's birthday. And she was like, yes. You, my grandma's birthday. She's like, yes. How did you know? It's basic psychology. You're going to try to grab a number I mean, mind you, even I do it. I'm not going to tell you whose birthday it is, but, <laughs> but it's basic psychology. You're going to grab a number that you think nobody else knows. That means something to you that's easy to remember. That's what I do is I, a lot of what I do is I study behavioral psychology and I try to apply that to then teach other people how to build the best product possible. It's part of what I do. And they still don't get it. They still just classify it as I work in tech. <laughs> But their minds just exploded and they're like, how did you know that? Is that black magic? I'm like, no, it's just basic human, you know, response. I think the problem with that explanation is that you've terrified them so much that they couldn't possibly be listening to the answer because they're just wondering when they're going to be able to go and change their password. <laughs> <laughs> well, I then, I then very quickly found out that my little cousin broke into his school server. <laughs> and I was like, oh, honey, I did the same thing when I was your age. <laughs> My, my cousin's like, no, but tell him he shouldn't do that. And I'm like, I, I can't because <laughs> he is curious about technology and that's actually a good thing. But he needs someone to just gear, you know, that thirst for knowledge into something that's not hacking into the school server. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's plenty of places you can hack for fun these days. There are like actual places that let you hack them, like the, the hacker 
courses that you can take and yeah. stuff. So maybe, maybe maybe try them out instead of uh, <laughs> trying to change your grades like in war games or something. So final question. Uh, obviously, given that you're in, into education and, and doing all these events to to kind of help product people be better product people, what advice would you give to someone trying to break into product? Let's imagine, say, from customer support, like from, like from your background, but just anyone. Like, what what would your key piece of advice to to get them started be? I think a, a lot of people worry about having to have a technical background. That's a, a trend I've definitely been seeing. People that want to get into product and they're like, "Yeah, but I don't know how to code." That's okay. You don't have to learn how to code. Learning how to code or, or, or understanding, you know, methodology, methodologies or frameworks and stuff like that. Those are things that you can learn. You know, pick up a book, learn about. I mean, side point: there's so many. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you're never going to know all of them, um, so don't worry about it. A lot of people don't know all of them anyway. But don't worry about not having that technical background because product isn't necessarily about coding it's about empathy and it's about communication it's about it's really about listening and i kind of want to quote jana's um my the product talk from a few years back in san francisco when she said product is about managing people because it's really about that it's you're again going back to that venn diagram by Martin erickson you're in the middle of it all and you have to know how to manage all those stakeholders and you got to understand that people have good days, people have bad days, people have feelings, you know, and, and people communicate in different ways. And based on what I do, people learn in different ways, right? So you really have to have, you need to be comfortable being around people and talking to people. So don't worry about not knowing how to code. That's, that's something you can pick up. And just as an example, I, I wrote, um, we have something called How ProdPet Fits, which is basically different pages and information around how ProdPet fits with different methodologies like SAFE, XP, and Kanban, and all these different ones. And I had to write them all, but I don't know half of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to learn. I had to do research. I had to learn about it. I had to read and then understand those concepts and then apply that to ProdPet. So I, I learned a lot of new stuff you know, just, just by doing research. So that, that's what product is. It's research. I'm also very sure that you've probably learned your fair share of programming languages in your time then. Um, <laughs> like I said, I'm not allowed to code, <laughs> but I was, I was the jQuery queen and I am very good at writing 42 lines of code for something that could have been done with one. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my key strengths when it comes to coding. Fine, and I think to be honest, anyone anyone that's in uh, jQuery Club should should be very proud. I'm, I'm I still have fond memories of jQuery Club. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> and where can uh, well, we know that people can find you in many places, but where's the best place for people to come and uh, connect with you or, or or find out more about all the things that you're involved in? I would say Twitter. So my handle is at Drea S A Z Size. I'm on there. I tweet a lot. I say a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Twitter's for. How, how many times you shouted Donald Trump on there? <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the other thing that Twitter's for, right? No comments. There you go. I cannot yeah. confirm nor deny. <laughs> well, you won't have too long left to, to worry about it, I guess. Cool. Well, uh, thanks very much for coming on. It's been really, uh, really good to, uh, to hear about some of the stuff you're involved in and, and some of your opinions. And let's keep in touch. And, uh, and thanks very much. Great. Thank you so much for having me here. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to listen to the other PodPad interview straight away. 
I'd really love it if you could share this episode with friends, colleagues or even enemies. And in either case, come back soon for more from One Night in Product. <laughs>